0: We have leagues wrapping up, and there's only one left in play. We're going to talk about all of that and more on this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We are back again, episode number 185 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. I'm Nick Heeswell. This is the first one on our new Podcast host, I guess kinda sorta. We're working that out right now. Anyone that knows the the trouble behind one eighty four getting uploaded. I imagine that one are gonna be uploaded first, but this is the first one we're recording with the new one in mind. It's behind the scenes stuff. It doesn't really matter. I just wanted to mention it because I thought it was kinda interesting.
1: The the work to get around it has been a lot, but you know what? Uh, at the end of the day it's still the same good old indie ball content and man is there a lot of indie ball content to talk about
0: there certainly is there certainly is there is the frontier league championship there is the pioneer league championship there is the american association championship there is news in the atlantic league as well as we're on the verge of having our championship matchup i believe we actually may be able to get that tonight the 24th have our matchup set and then be able to figure it out and then probably be talking about the atlantic league championship as well on uh next week that's all very well possible uh and yeah so there is a lot to talk about
1: yeah so much to talk about lots of leagues i mean Couple couple leagues wrapping up, some st- or a few, few leagues wrapping up, I should say, and, hmm. uh, but some thrilling championship games, including truly one of the best games you'll ever see.
0: Oh, absolutely, there, and I mean, really, when you get down to it. The further north you went, the better the games got. That's why we're going to start in the furthest north of all the leagues, and that is the Frontier League. It is Quebec and Schaumburg, and as we mentioned last week, it was in the middle. It was a travel day, and they were starting uh, game number three when we last spoke to you. I believe we both were in agreement on Quebec winning that. I believe the disagreement was whether or not it was going to go five games or if it was just going to take four. In the end, it only did take four. And Quebec uh, managed to get a pair of thrilling walk-off victories uh, in back-to-back days, a 4-3 win and then a 2 to one win as well to capture their first frontier league championship and what i believe is their seventh or eighth overall championship uh just a a franchise that continues and continues to win continues to find success and quite frankly is uh is one of the best in the um frontier league and in all of indie ball as a whole to be blunt
1: yeah, I mean Quebec is I mean honestly they are one of the best franchises in all of indie ball and their success sp- really speaks to that. Um I mean the series for 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 a series that didn't go 5. I mean it was it was hotly contested throughout just really good games. I mean and, and of course credit to Schaumburg as well. Schaumburg uh played a great series. Just a couple of their their late innings uh their late inning bullpen guys kind of struggled. On these last two games, and uh, Quebec was able to take advantage, win a couple walk-off wins at home, but there was so much drama in this series, it was honestly like a movie script, and eventually uh, Quebec was able to come back on top, uh, but it was truly, for a series that didn't go five, it was so close, so hotly contested uh, between these two great teams.
0: It it really was, I mean in game three especially I think was the case, just because you have a Quebec team that It is a pivotal Game 3. Yes, it's not an elimination game, but it is one where it's really going to determine the rest of the series and how it's going to play out. Having to win two in a row on back-to-back days is a lot more difficult than, you know, just having to get one of the next two, obviously. So, going up early in that game, then the boomers tying it up, then getting a solo shot in the eighth to go and put themselves up three two quebec pushed to the very brink of him by very brink i do mean the very edge it was a two two count with two away and then uh ruben castro gets a a uh, <laughs> a two out double That's uh, gonna score a pair and winds up uh giving his team the win in game three and would set them up for game four but it, When you watch a lot of these games here, you are right, Will, where the bullpen kind of is so-so here. But even in those losses, I don't necessarily put it on them. I just put on a Quebec team that had this knack of just not dying. And it was was just almost like... It's hard to describe the best comparison to it, but it kind of reminded me of Schaumburg a bit where Schaumburg... You know, in the regular season, they're not the best team. They're good enough to get in the postseason, but they're not really a regular season team. They're, uh, I guess, a 16-game team. You know, they show up in the postseason. That is what they are built to do, and that's what they do well. In the same vein, Quebec is not necessarily a... uh, a team that plays the whole way, but when it comes down to the most important moments, they show up and they play. Now, we've seen them play complete games, obviously. You're the second-best team in the league. You can play a complete game. That that goes without saying. But three of these games in the postseason, we've seen them needing late dramatics, but they always get it. So, I mean, if you're always getting it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, even in game... Uh, even in game four, it's a two to one outcome. So, I mean, it's not exactly like, uh, you can really blame the, the pitching in any of these. It's just, you know, you're scoreless through the first five. Schomburg goes up in the sixth. And then in the eighth, Quebec gets a solo shot to tie it. And then in the ninth, again, it's, uh, Ruben Castro, who this time he gets, uh, probably the oddest walk off in a walk off sack fly. It just to, uh, to finish the job, I mean, if anything in Game Four, you could probably blame the Boomers' uh, bats for not doing their job. They struck out 15 times and stranded 10. And when you're batting one for nine with runners in scoring position in an elimination game, that's not exactly going to to work. That's not helping the cause at all. So when you look at it like that, you know, it's uh, it's how it's going to go.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Just because when when it's such a low scoring game, and really Game Three and Four, um, I think we saw that the Schaumburg bats started to quiet, but I mean, admittedly the Schaumburg starting pitching did an excellent job. Uh, they, they did, they did a really good job against a great Quebec lineup. And when the margin of error is, is so small that, and that's really what we, what we saw at the end of the game. And Quebec was uh, in both games three and four able to come back and, uh, and when it in the late innings, just a good situational baseball. And uh, unfortunately that was it for Schaumburg, but I mean, I think it was just a matter more, more than anything of the Schaumburg bats really couldn't get hot in Quebec and in a similar way that they were able to in their previous series. you got to give credit to to Quebec's pitching staff. Both their starting pitching and their bullpen were really good in these last two games. And I think that it just speaks to how well Quebec was built in general, just from, from top to bottom, because uh, they just showed the, the unbelievable amount of depth that they had. In, in this series and it, you know it's, it's there's a reason that they they are where they were and they were able to kind of go wire to wire to win their division for one and yeah. and two to make the run in the playoffs the way they did, even though it was a lot of close games that they were able to come out on top on they didn't steamroll anybody by any stretch. when that when that margin for error was so small for Chabre, I agree you can't necessarily blame their bullpen even though they're back end relievers. Uh, weren't great in these last two games. Uh, but you have to give a lot of credit to Quebec for, for, and especially even, even some of the Quebec bullpen for, for keeping them in the game and keeping them in the game, keeping them within striking distance. And eventually the Capitals were able to strike. Uh, and that's, and that's what we saw. And then they were able to get, uh, their big hits really when they needed the most.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Franklin Parr is, you know, probably the guy from this run. I mean, the heroics back in the, uh, east division championship series against ottawa in that long winding what was a game two i believe it was yeah so that one alone i mean that that brought you to this point and then he went out and dominated the last two in quebec as well so the man had a fantastic playoff run The team as a whole, the bats all came through. Uh, I mean, you could go through the lineup here. Castro, obviously, is going to be the one that first comes to mind because of everything that he did in the last two games in Quebec. But TJ White's another guy that had a very productive series. Jonathan Lacroix, who doubled home to the run. I misspoke earlier. I said he hit a home run, but uh, that would tie the game. He was the guy that was very productive. Really, you go up and down the lineup, you find guys that came through and were clutched situationally, so... I mean, in the end, I mean, it, it is a very, very strong Quebec team, and I. you look at the division they had to come out of, you look at everything, you know, that they had to play through for this season, and you see a really dominant team. Because, I mean, like, we can obviously point out and say, oh, well, you know, they had the benefit of having the Grays in the regular season, that may have inflated their win total. I mean, sure, if you want to look at it like that, but I kind of view it more as a... If you look at the West, I mean, there's not really a lot of strong teams, right? Like, you're saying this all season long. There wasn't a lot of really strong teams. There's a lot of mediocre teams. That being said, Schaumburg, was, Schaumburg and Washington were like the two we were, I think, pretty confident on. We're like, yeah, Washington's a legit team. And Schaumburg's good in the postseason. Evansville they weren't great going in. They had moments where they were really good and they had moments where they were not good. So they were whatever there. And meanwhile in the east you look and you say, all right, well, Tri-City, if not for a rough start, as per usual, they would have definitely been in. Strong team there. Sussex County fielded a strong team. The way they went down wasn't great, but they were a strong team. Ottawa, we saw how strong they truly were. They had no business being as good as they were and they were very good and very close to uh to being in the same position Quebec finds themselves in now. And then the Boulders, I mean, I'm not sure they were a great team, but they were certainly the hottest team we've seen. I mean you went 12 straight, I mean you're a hot team and you're gotta have something right there. So I kind of view Quebec as you know, they never really had it easy this year either. And I think that kinda of adds to the level of play they had, the kind of quality of greatness to this. In that you never really had a break outside of what a handful of series this year.
1: I totally agree with that. I think that uh, the the division that Quebec played in really gave them um, really gave them the best opportunity to know how to deal with adversity. Uh, and when they got to this po- when they got to the postseason, uh, they and they faced a lot of it. They faced so much adversity yeah. uh, in this postseason. They, their backs were against the wall multiple times multiple times and uh, that's that's what made it what made it so impressive and you know what at the end of the day you can fall back on so many of those those tough series that they had to play in, in the regular season and even and even like if you go toward all the way towards the bottom of the standings and excluding a team like Empire State I mean, it's like not like the jackals who finished in second to last were pushovers either because they weren't I think that that really prepared Quebec uh, for the gauntlet that is the postseason. And um, and they were. And I think they were able to use that to their advantage. And on Schaumburg's end of things, again, it's not like uh, you can't blame Schaumburg because at the end of the day, you play the teams that are on your schedule. Uh, they can't really control uh, the teams that you know the, the teams that are in their division. And of course, there is an inherent advantage in the Frontier League, at least for now. Uh, I think maybe in five years down the line, things will totally even out. But I think you're going to have a a imbalance between between the old can teams and the and the uh old frontier league teams you're going to have somewhat of an imbalance for a little bit just because uh the those uh those teams in the east have a have a established connection with some veterans uh that maybe teams in the west would not be able to get their hands on yet so uh, i think quebec has had to play with a lot better teams but you know what at the end of the day the Capitals, uh I mean, they haven't played a legit season like themselves uh since I mean since twenty nineteen. So I uh, I think that's enough adversity in and of itself for them and uh and at the end of the day they were they were able to come up big when it mattered most, uh, in these close games and uh and and take down Schaumburg and take home another champ. I mean, it's improbable the way that they were essentially able um to go without playing since 2019, and I know they had their uh, Kip Quebec team yeah. from last year, but that was kind of a whole jumble of. He was in. They somehow turned that team out to be pretty good anyway. Yeah, but uh, but I think that it's it's improbable that, it speaks to the, the structure of that organization that they were still able to put together this roster uh, after after two seasons of not playing and. Go win a Frontier League championship. It's just it's just incredible.
0: Oh, absolutely. It, it really is. And I mean, if you want to look across the board at Quebec, since 2018, they went from uh, getting walked off by Martin Figueroa, so another championship game appearance. They have a, one bad season where it was really bad last year, the Can-Am pandemic. It kept Quebec championship. That's been their five-year run. <laughs> Like, it's almost impressive. Basically, two years they didn't play, one year they were bad, and then that's sandwiched by championship appearance and championship win. Like, that is genuinely impressive out of a, a quarterback that they seemingly have not missed a beat. This team just is never bad. And, I mean, that really speaks volumes about the organization to be at that point. I mean... uh. I do want to just talk Schaumburg real kind of quickly here. I know it's, you know, Quebec won. They get the heavy time of talk. But Schaumburg continues to do this where they play very, very well in the postseason. And in the regular season, they're just kind of like jogging it out. And I know it's probably not fair to say they still have 53 wins. They're still the second best team in the uh, West. And, I mean, they're only about one, two wins off from being right in the middle of everybody in the east too so it's not like they were that far off but it just continues to astound me of how good of a playoff team schaumburg is that they managed to just seemingly discard everybody on their way there and then it takes essentially a dynasty type team to finally knock them off and be done with them
1: you're right i i I think schaumburg deserves all the credit in the world and I mean, this is a team that, again, we talk about Quebec coming up big when it matters most. schaumburg has been doing it the last two years. Uh, and you're right when you say it it took a team like Quebec to knock them off in the, to to knock them off in the postseason. And Quebec, of course, is insanely talented. Uh, but I think that, yeah, I think Schomburg deserves all the credit. They had an outstanding season and another incredible playoff run for them. Taking down the, the the wild things that uh, the wild things that were the pretty sizable favorite to come out of the West, uh, mm. and they were still able to take them down. So yeah, I mean, they're clearly doing something right in Schaumburg. I'd expect them to be right back in the in the thick of it next year too.
0: Oh, absolutely there. But uh, overall, a pretty fantastic season in the Frontier League. There'll be a lot to break down and look at in the off season to go through. Each of these divisions go through everybody and see, you know, all the finer points of it. But, uh, uh, yeah, overall, fantastic season for both Schomburg and Quebec. And for Quebec, they get another addition to their trophy case there. Uh, on that note, we do have other leagues that we need to wrap up real quick. So we are going to continue on this path and we're going to go to the Pioneer League next as they were the next one's to end. Uh, their series also started last Saturday. It was Missoula. It was Grand Junction. I distinctly remember someone on this show saying Missoula in two immediately. And then I said, if you could take Missoula in one, would you? And it was kind of implied that the answer was yes. So how do we think Missoula did?
1: I, I don't know if I want to answer that question.
0: Oh, so I take it you don't think Missoula did very well.
1: I, I'm gonna respectfully uh, exercise my right uh, to the Fifth Amendment.
0: Oh, well, good thing this isn't a court of law. So, uh, yeah. So, so on,
1: do, do I do I not have the right to uh, to not talk
0: Not on this show?
1: It seems like a seems like being a dictator here, Nick Firestone.
0: Oh, good! You're finally catching on. <laughs> <laughs> It took you a while, but you finally got on. (laughs) Yeah, game one, Grand Junction, they got 12, Missoula got 10. And I was thinking at this point, like, oh, okay, we got ourselves a series. And then after game two, I was like, no, we don't have ourselves a series because Missoula only scored four runs and Grand Junction scored 10. Grand Junction swept Missoula.
1: <laughs> we don't have a well. We don't have a series because Grand Junction's holding the trophy. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was watching. Like I didn't watch Game One because there's a bunch of other games on. So I was like, okay, we're getting focused on these other games because I mean, well, I, I didn't expect much out of it. And then I go ahead and I'm t- watching Game Two, and I'm like, what is happening here? Because Missoula led early; they were up one nothing. We're not even going. We're going to get back to Game One eventually, but Game Two is really where it's more interesting. Because it seems like the trading blows, the trading blows. We go to the fifth. Missoula is up 3 1. Then it winds up becoming 4 1. Then it becomes 4 4. And then from that moment on, it's just Grand Junction. They get one run in the sixth, three in the eighth, two in the ninth. It's just turning into a runaway. Any chance they really had isn't there anymore. Uh, you have Alex Nielsen. He goes two for three. Four RBIs for him. A 3-for-5 night from Sean Ross. Two runs scored in an RBI. Jalen Hubb, 4-for-5. Two runs scored RBI. Uh, Phipps, uh, he goes 2-for-4. Two, two runs scored. Sandoff, 1-for-3 with two runs scored. All those guys have an RBI too, might I add. And uh, a couple of them drew some walks there. Sandoff has a pair of walks. Overall, you look through; they just kind of went through them. And funny thing is, after Jimmy uh, Jimmy uh, Drew Brass, the starting pitcher for Grand Junction, came out of the lineup, the next, uh, I guess it would be four and two thirds. Not a single run comes across. In fact, there is only, at least according to this box score that I'm seeing. Three base runners for Missoula the rest of the way through. So not exactly hot, not exactly killing it uh, in an elimination must-win game for the team that has the best winning percentage in all of baseball. Uh Really, if you want to go down the line, the top of the lineup, they all scored a run. Nick Gatewood did pretty solid with an RBI a run and uh, a pair of hits on four at-bats. Lamar Sparks two hits two. Jason Newman a pair of hits too. But overall this was a very uninspired offensive performance, especially considering the fact this is the Pioneer League in an elimination game. And in all seriousness, I I I do kind of wonder if, like we said about Quebec, where they had a lot of very tough opponents this whole season and they were pushed put to the test a couple of times and that's why they kind of were able to respond well i do kind of wonder if with this particular team if because they were just kind of running away with the season at no point was anyone ever concerned about them you know being eliminated not making the postseason, whatever it may be i and keep in mind billings also kind of pushed them as well and uh made a three-game series, I do wonder if Missoula just wasn't ready for this kind of a challenge, this kind of a pushback uh, in the postseason. And, I mean, Grand Junction was a hot team too. They, they have good players as well. They're not a team to be taken lately just because, you know, you're for such a dominant team in the regular season. So I do wonder if that's part of it or if it's just a matter of they got outplayed. I mean, that could also just be it.
1: I, I think it's more the latter just because – at the end of the day, like this is the beauty of baseball, right? And when you when you make a playoff structure where you're doing best of three, best of three, done. I mean, this can happen. I it doesn't matter whether Missoula just steamrolled everybody in the regular season. Uh, when it comes to a best of three, I mean, it's a crapshoot. Anything can happen. And unfortunately, I mean, Grand Junction, all the credit to them. Their bats got white hot at the right time. Um And I mean, of course there's always lots of runs scored in the Pioneer League, but I think that Grand Junction and shout out to Bobby Jenks get um, bringing home the title. but uh, I think that, you know, there's a lot of when it's just when it's just the best of three and you just have a couple bad games and you start to slump, like I mean every team no matter no matter how good you are, struggles a little bit in the regular season and goes through a rough patch, Missoula just went through a rough patch at the wrong time. Uh, in, in the postseason and you know, what? Not, you know it's not an excuse for them at all but but they, they just simply got outplayed I don't know I would point to saying like oh like they were expecting they weren't expecting this much of a, of a pushback maybe that's a little bit but I think at the end of the day these are professionals uh, and I think they simply just got outplayed by a team that is playing much better baseball than they were right now in Grand Junction uh, went out there and took it because they, they played they played really well uh, and did a great job and ended up taking home the title.
0: I mean, I, I'd agree with that, but I st- I'm, I'm still wondering a bit because, I mean, it's not like they weren't that cold. They went cold in the postseason of places to go cold. I mean, and even still, they were what? They were two and three in the postseason. So, I mean, that's not really that cold they're eight they're eight and two coming into the postseason as well so i mean yeah it's a three-game series anything could happen and grand junction was the second best team in the regular season there's seven games separating the two Uh, so i i get they're fairly close it's just it's hard for me to believe that a team that's like missoula could not manage to at least steal one game which in their case they shouldn't be stealing any games they they're the favorite going in that they weren't able to get a game right like there's got to be at least one game in there where you can take it and it just feels like they got punched in the mouth then they tried to respond i mean they put up by runs in the third and the fourth and in the ninth they managed to keep grand junction off the board after the fourth in game one this in game one and then obviously we went over game two already where it was kind of back and forth until grand junction just kind of took over and ran away with it like it just we hadn't seen a team play like that so i'm i just feel like there's almost more than just they got outplayed because this team feels like it's too good to be outplayed it feels like at no point in the season did they get outplayed so to be outplayed now i it feels like there's more to that there even if it is just like something as simple as it's a long season they were just at the end of the line and had nothing else left you know like I yeah, it, it's just kind of hard for me to think that this was it
1: I know I mean it is <clears throat> it is surprising for a team that was as dominant as they were uh, to get outplayed because you're right they, they did not face many points in a regular season way where they were that they did get outplayed for a sizable stretch of time because even like you look at a team like Quebec I mean, Quebec had, had, had that one point in the middle of the season where they, they dropped, I think five in a row. They dropped seven out of eight, something like that. Uh, and so Missoula never really, never really faced that. So maybe you're right. Maybe that they, they got punched in the mouth and faced some adversity. And even in the, and maybe not even, uh, we're not even as simple as, as Grand Junction, but in the previous series against Billings. Yeah. Right. I mean, Billings, Billings took them, uh, took them down to the wire too. So I I think that I think that's how you could look at it as well and uh and you know, credit to Grand Junction because Grand Junction probably felt like they hey, we have nothing to lose, nothing at all to lose in, in this series and they probably played like it. So uh so congratulations to them and uh you know, I'm sure Billings will be or sorry, not Billings, uh Missoula will be right back in the mix next year, but I mean this this one hurts. It it really hurts to them.
0: Yeah, it just felt like they were lined up to be a back-to-back champion. I mean, you still had a fantastic season, and I mean, congrats on that. But they, it it does hurt just because of the expectation. But, I mean, yeah. like you said, all the credit in the world to Grand Junction, they took advantage of the situation, and they went out, and they played very well. They played well the whole second half. They, actually, I believe they had a better second half record than Missoula had. And they finished the season nine and one in their last 10. They went out, just dominated their opponents, finished on like, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, five game winning streak, I believe it was. That, that would have been extended had the last game of the season not been canceled on them. They go out, they handle Ogden, they handle, uh, they handle Missoula. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fantastic year, especially under Bobby Jenks, who's a first year manager who looked pretty comfortable especially in the second half so uh congrats to the pioneer league on a pretty solid season congrats to to the two combatants there at the very end for putting on a fantastic show
1: yeah for sure uh there's uh, another good year for the pioneer league i think you could say in indie ball attendance wise too i think another step in the right direction for
0: them oh absolutely the pioneer league i i gotta be honest here we'll talk about it more in the off season again when we start wrapping up each of the leagues and each of the divisions in the league. We'll go through everything and whatnot. Uh, but the Pioneer League is one that I'm still very curious about because on one hand, there's no denying that the the quality of the average player is not as developed as the Frontier League and the rest of them. There's no really denying that. You can't get around it. Plus, the runs are going to be way out of whack just because of where the teams are located. And because of those locations, they are kind of off to the side of like most of the rest of the indie ball world but at the same time their attendance is probably among the best in the indie ball world we have to look at it all compared and in addition to that they seem to be making a lot of moves that are very interesting. They have their partnerships. They have a pretty decent tech setup. They went through a rebrand. They seem to be really kind of embracing the independent spirit. They really are an interesting team that I want to watch because I think there's a lot there that could uh really develop into something of note.
1: Yeah, totally agree. They they're I think they're a fascinating case study for a league that goes from affiliated to independent and is, and is doing an excellent job in a lot of ways. In a, in a lot of ways and off the field and what other leagues can learn from it. I think I think they're an interesting
0: case study to look at. Absolutely they are. So, on that note, we will go to the final league that we're wrapping up today because this league just finished last night on the 23rd. <clears throat> or 22nd, rather, my mistake. It wrapped up a couple days ago. And uh, it is the American Association. So we have Fargo, we had Milwaukee. I believe if I remember right from last week, which I understand, you know, saying that now a lot of people that are going to listen to this show probably didn't get the opportunity to listen because it's only on YouTube for now. It should be uploaded on the main feed soon. But I believe well, you said four games and you had Fargo. I said five games and I had Fargo but I put the caveat on there that the Milwaukee wins were going to be close and the Fargo wins are going to be kind of blowouts. I was right in five games. I was wrong in how these games would go for the most part because it seemed like the they were trading blowouts until we got to the game four and five. So we'll just run through the first uh, handful of games real quick. The two in Milwaukee, it went uh, 7-1 Milwaukee. So they did lead in this series at one point. And then it flipped the script the following day, 7-3 Fargo. They switched back to Fargo. It's 7-2 Fargo. The Red Hawks have a chance to end it. And then we get to our game number four, which is going to be the first one we talk about here before we get into the series, because, well, I don't want to say it, but I kind of implied a game five is kind of crazy. So Milwaukee only puts up three runs to three nothing final. That being said, Christian Young went out, took the hill for Milwaukee in a huge, huge game and just dominated five innings pitch, two hits, no runs, n- Two walks, seven strikeouts. Frankie Barto comes in. He throws three innings, a three-hit, one strikeout ball. Nothing flashy gets the job done. Rodrigo Benoit he comes in one inning of work, strikes two out. Ball game over. Peyton Wigginson does all right in his five innings, allows three runs, two earned, two walk, four strikeout bullpen comes in they stop the bleeding uh jones and sims would be the three guys uh they threw four innings combined for two hits no walks and two strikeouts there so pretty defensive game pretty low scoring game nothing really that uh, shocking happens in this one it's a pretty quick neat three hours 11 minute game and uh, it forces us to have an extra game this season and uh, game five was uh, a bit wild, I would say. It
1: was off the rails. Just I, there aren't really enough adjectives in the uh, in the dictionary to really describe this. Other than the fact that, I mean, personally, there was a point in the game where you thought it was over, and then uh-huh. every time you thought it was over, it wasn't over. Uh, and in a matchup between, I mean, Fargo and Milwaukee, and and two teams. I mean, and Milwaukee for the most part has had a had a good season. They played much played much better at the end of the season. But I mean, just what an unbelievable way for a winner take all game to be played uh, in a game that was back and forth in the, uh, the and I emphasize back and forth in the most insane
0: way. Oh, absolutely! There was uh, how many lead changes in this one? I mean. One, two, three, four, five, six lead changes over the course of 10 innings of play in this game. So we, we open up with that first lead change. Milwaukee opens up the scoring in the top half of the inning. It's 1 0. Great. Fargo Moore hit in the bottom of the second, gets it back. Two run shot puts him up 2 1. Milwaukee answers that call by getting a run back of their own in the top half of the third. So it's all tied up. Bottom of the fourth. Fargo goes up 3-2. That has not been so crazy so far. It's been a bit of a back and forth game. So far, though, the craziest thing was Kevin McGovern essentially pulling himself after two innings at work. Just saying, I don't have it today. Go to somebody else. Which, for a guy that has the career like Kevin McGovern, also being the pitching coach, and just, you know, very well knowing that this could very well be the last game he pitches in the American Association. This could very well be, at the very least, the last time he's in a situation like this. A guy that has his resume has earned the right to try and get out of a situation. Because at that point, I believe there's a couple of runners on. And it was a bit of a jam situation. He's earned the right to stay in that game and finish it if he wants it. And no one's going to think less by, you know him trying to do that and so certainly no one's going to come out and pull him but to essentially pull himself from it you know i commend him for that no one i just don't have it today this is an important game we have to get the win i'm going to take myself out after the two innings and i mean it worked out in the end the one run comes across but that was about it that limited the damage and then feldman went to work for the next three and third but yeah it was to that point pretty well under control nothing too crazy it's in this, in the fifth inning nothing happened, so honestly, at this point going into the top of the sixth, I'm thinking it's like, yeah, you know, it's a pretty easy game. I feel pretty good about Fargo's chances of winning this game, but to go to the play-by-play of how this top of the sixth went, it went like this. Keon Barnum, base hit. Barnum advances the second on a wild pitch. Keon Barnum steals third base. On the pickoff attempt to third, the ball is thrown away. Keon Barnum comes around to score, which winds up tying the game. Not great. Not terrible. They managed to get the out with Kangard to put out. Fine. Joe Jones now comes in for Davis Feldman. Keep in mind, Feldman was the guy that came in for McGovern. We just went through that. So Joe Jones, I will say one thing about him. He pitched very well the day before but has kind of struggled so far in the postseason. He's been up and down. And the one thing that he's been kind of prone towards, and the reason why I didn't love bringing him in, but on top of the fact he pitched yesterday, I get it, all hands on deck, but try and use the hands that just were used towards the back end, in my opinion, but whatever, um, is that he's kind of prone to blow up innings. Things can kind of spiral on him quickly, so you got to make sure the situation's under control. His first batter is Hector Sanchez who launches one into right field deep and over a wall for his first batter, not in control right now. Then it winds up being a walk to Chester, a, uh, another walk to Hill. And at that point now, the situation has just gotten out of hand with two on and a home run. Jones's day is done. He comes out. Reed Burlingmeyer comes in. So now we're on pitcher number three, this inning. And, uh, burks goes ahead they managed to get him for a second out so now it's like okay not great but we could still manage to get out of this inning not too much damage done uh, that doesn't quite happen brian torres base hit scores chester hill the third trobridge double that's going to advance torres to third that's going to score hill miguel gomez base hit torres scores trobridge scores now we're on pitcher number four. Luke Lind comes in now. And it is a, he does manage to get Barnum to strike out. That ends the top half of the inning. And at this point, the amount of damage done was six runs in the top of the sixth, which at this point made the game an 8-3 to three game. And I believe this was the moment you were talking about, Will, where you said, I thought this game was done. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... It's not really to say that uh, I mean Milwaukee's I mean their bullpen has been pretty good uh, and just going up eight to three that seemed like in the sixth inning even though there were still 12 outs to get it seemed like all right that's the big that's that's the big knockout punch uh that that Milwaukee on the road uh, at Newman outdoor and great environment it was that that was the knockout blow. Uh, again, hitting a guy in Jones who has been, even though he has struggled in the postseason, he has been one of, uh, Fargo's better relievers. This just seemed like, all right, this is how it's going to end. Uh, in Milwaukee getting hot at the right time. Um, and it seemed like it, this was going to be the knockout blow and the, their offense had gotten hot. It was perfect. Uh, and then, you know, it, 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 it all flipped.
0: Yeah, it it did, to that point, before we get into that seventh, it did feel like Milwaukee was about to pull a Schaumburg moment where it's like, okay, they're about to knock off a team that's significantly better than they are, at least to this point in the season. And uh, yeah, then it kind of, the script kind of flipped because bottom of the sixth, nothing happened. Top of the seventh, nothing happened. Bottom of the seventh, it's really getting down to the very end here. And, uh, at first doesn't look like much. Correa, he gets put down, put out. But Peter Maris, base hit. Then Drew Ward, base hit, 2-1. At this point, Ben Holmes had come in in relief of AJ Schugel because Schugel had thrown a decent amount of innings. So Holmes was the replacement there. And he's now out. Peyton Gray has come into the game. First, you know, I guess, reliever that we really like, we're big on, like, look, he has a zero ERA, Peyton Gray, that guy. So I'm like, okay, you're you're going to Peyton Gray now in the seventh here. It's, I don't really love the odds for Fargo right now. But, Pena advances on a fielder's choice. There's an error by the shortstop handling the ball to load the bases in that first batter. So it's like, okay, there's life here. Basically, what had happened was on that play, if that's the one I recalling, Burks went to field the ball. He goes to step on third, but when he's trying to you know, transfer it, he dropped the ball. He didn't have it long enough to count as an out. Originally, they ruled an out at second. Meeting said that's not the case. Base is still loaded with only one away. Okay, interesting situation. Boskin fly out to left, whatever. It's two outs now, base is loaded. So now it's a pressure situation. And Alec Olin comes through. He gets a walk. That scores one run. Then Sam Dexter, who honestly, up to this point, had a pretty middling postseason at the plate. I think he was batting around 200. But to this point in this game, has just kind of balled out. And he continues to do that here with a base hit. It advances everybody up one. Olin goes to third. Pena goes to third as well. But Pena is able to score on an error again meaning a missed on ball, Drew Ward also scores, the two runs come across on this, a lot of stuff's happening now. At this point, Anthony Barone's like, this is getting out of hand, I'm bringing in my closer, and I understand he needs to get an out in the seventh and get through another six outs after that, but we're not rolling the dice anymore, that's the situation at hand. Gray's day is done after only a handful of batters, Rodrigo Benoit comes in, and then Evan Alexander, a guy who hit a home run already today. He is, you know, having a very solid day. He gets a base hit. And then he's able to advance again on another throwing error. That scores Olin. That scores Dexter. Eventually, Nick Novak, he strikes out swinging for the final out of the inning. But when everything's all said and done, five runs have come across the plate for Fargo, which has tied the game now at eight apiece and right when we thought that you know this game was going to be done and over with there's new life in this game and now all of a sudden we have ourselves a very very interesting game because of some very very poor fielding in this one
1: yeah the errors the errors on the Milwaukee side of things were just absolutely killer they totally i mean in this in this game there were 500 runs scored uh, and uh, and to that point um, to that point, in the game out of the eight runs through seven innings for for Fargo Moorhead, uh, half of them were unearned, and that's that's really gonna hurt. I don't. I will say this though, I don't blame Anthony Barone for being as aggressive as he was. Yeah. Uh, because and I do think the question needs to be asked that even though the errors certainly did not help, uh, Peyton Gray or yeah. Peyton Gray and slash uh, Benoit for sure. Yeah. But I mean. Peyton Gray, for as good as he was during the regular season, I mean, it just had a really brutal stretch in the postseason. Yeah, um, and there's no way around that. I think, uh, and I don't blame Bar- Barone for because I'm always, I'm more of the uh, just in general. I always am more of a fan of bringing in your best reliever in the highest leverage spot, not even if that's not necessarily the ninth inning. Um, I think in this case it was it was correct to bring in Benoit when he did. Uh and did it work out? No. Uh but I think at the same time I think the thought process was there and I like the I like the decision of being aggressive uh in a winner take all game and you're just you play for the play that is happening then and you worry about the rest later. Uh, so I think that Barone made a fine decision bringing in Benoit as well as having Gray. I mean Gray just really just has not had it uh, in, in this in the postseason and not sure why. But uh, he's I mean he had a, I think 120 ERA in the regular season for Milwaukee in the time that he was there yeah. uh, in the back half of the year. So, um, but overall, I mean the defense the defense was killer. But I mean some unbelievable at bats that were put together by the Red Hawks in that inning. Uh, to stretch it together. And in a game that I think a lot of people thought that Milwaukee was going to pull away, I mean, the Red Hawks came roaring right back, putting themselves in a tie ball game, which was um, you know, just an unbelievable turn of, turn of events.
0: Yeah, I would say, though, as far as Gray goes, and even Holmes and Benoit, none of them surrendered an earned run. In fact, there wasn't an earned run from when Shugel came out to the very end of this game. So, you know, I don't really necessarily think you could pull Peyton in that spot. I think he was still good to go. And I do wonder... And I don't hate the decision you put in your best... I agree with that. You put your best reliever in the high leverage spot because, well, they're your best reliever and this this game matters more. You could just stretch him if you need to. I do wonder if you think you could have gotten another out out of Ben Wall and you could just went to him first. Obviously, at that point, the situation was not dire. And obviously, you were not expecting your shortstop to throw two balls away that wasn't ever going to go according to plan. And had he not done that, this inning would have been over and a lot of the crisis would have been averted and we'd probably be having a different outcome that we're talking about. But that said, I do think you probably could have gotten him more out because we're going to talk about it in just a second when we get to the 10th inning. They had to go off to a guy that pitched the day before and has gotten a lot of mileage on him in this postseason already. And from the minute he came in, uh, just did not quite look like uh, a guy that was rest. I mean, the guy we're talking about is Frankie Bartow, and he's thrown 11 innings in the postseason. That's where he's going to finish at. So coming into that, he was at, what, 10 and two-thirds? Like, I get it. He has a sub-1 ERA in the postseason, been extremely reliable to this point. But it just feels like, to me, you know, I get all hands on deck here, but he really shouldn't have been the guy to go to, at least in my opinion, because he was just, that arm could not possibly have had much left in it, you know, after throwing that many innings as a reliever in such a short period of time.
1: Yeah, it's some, It's a question that needs to be asked, but I think at the same time, just given, I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Anthony Barone really thought that Um, they were at that time that they were even going to be in a place where they would go to a tent, where they, where they would go to a tent inning. So they bringing in Benoit made sense. Uh, I do agree though, like, uh, Frankie Barto, uh, he's a guy that has been, had been used a lot to that point. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't know, in a game like that, you kind of just have you just kind of have to play with the situation in front of you and worry about the rest later and unfortunately the and yes did the did the decision burn them yes but I think the process and the thought process is there
0: yeah like I'll, I'll agree with that it's just it, it's just one that you're looking at like oh that's not like I see exactly what you' are saying with like the thought process on it but it's just it's hard to separate the thought process and the outcome sometimes. And it's just like one of those situations, just because of the way this game unfolds. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's hard. I mean, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback on a lot of,
0: uh, a lot of decisions, a a lot of
1: these decisions. But, you know, I, I think the, and of course there's, there's risks to every, there's risk to every decision, right? Like, uh, we could, if, uh, if say Milwaukee took out Peyton Gray, put it, if Barone put in another reliever, uh, -hmm. and they gave the lead, we could, uh, I, I'd probably be sitting up here saying like, saying, yeah, Benoit needed to be in this game uh, in, in the seventh inning. Uh, but, you know, the decision was made. And, of course, there's risks to, to it. And, yeah, the risks materialize. But I, I think I still do think that the right decision was made.
0: Mm. All right. Uh, we'll continue on in this one after that bottom of the seventh where a lot was happening. We then see in the top half of the eighth, Alex Dubord comes in to pitch for Fargo. He walks the first batter, then gets Trowbridge, gets Gomez, two quick outs. Then uh, it is Keon Barnum that's up. They decide just to intentionally walk him, don't even face him, which I think we can all agree is a smart decision on that one. Don't let the big yes. power hitter hit when he could call game. So they take Will Kengor instead, and they manage to get him out on strikes. As the board walks off, he's pumped up flip side back to the eighth nothing really happens pair of quick outs Drew Ward gets base hit Pena goes down swinging run uh Benoit equally as hyped up at that point we go to the top of the ninth they get uh Sanchez the walk then a sh- strikeout for out one one fly out for out two put out for out of three down to the bottom of the ninth now So now we really have this anticipation building because now we've gone a long time in this game without runs, you know, relative. And uh, Boskin gets a walk for out one. Put out for our Boskin walks, then uh, put out for out one. Strike out for out two. Boskin is able to advance on a walk to Alexander. Novak goes down swinging. All right, we go to the 10th. Keep in mind at this point, both closers are in. DuBord's now gonna go on to his third inning of work if he stays into this one. And that's where I think I was kinda of like, I don't know if you could, if he's gonna come out because he has been their best reliever. He's finished with nine inning thrown on the season, or in the postseason rather, with a zero ERA. So I mean he's clearly the best arm. But um I wasn't sure if he was gonna pitch a third consecutive inning, that's a lot to ask out of a closer that really hasn't done too much of that. Uh, although he does have, you know, a history of doing more than just a handful of innings. In the end, he does come out for that 10th uh, inning, and he makes quick work of the Milwaukee lineup, a 1-2-3 inning, fly out, put out, fly out, gets him down, we go to the 10th, this is where Barto comes in for Ben Woff, and, um, yeah, he, he walked Correa, then was a base hit by Maris. Drew Ward gets a put out. So you still have the two on. And then it's Leo Baldo Pena, the longest tenured Red Hawk. The guy that's kind of been there looking for a championship. He manages to hit like the most... The one shot that analytics would not like, I'd imagine. Because it's just a worm burner directly up the middle. And, and by Warren Burner, I really do mean it ran on the grass through the dirt to the outfield where it just kind of sort of died in no man's land, which lets big Christian Correa go from second to home and score to win the game, win the series and win the Red Hawks, their first championship uh, since 2010. And their first in the American Association, too, and kind of cap off. Uh, an unbelievable two-year run for this team.
1: Yeah, I mean, just on that play, you know, that's the beauty of baseball sometimes, where it's yeah. about placing it better. Like, uh, you're right. Like sometimes those those balls that are softly hit, and I tell you what, uh, a, a hard hit ball to center, a hard hit single to center field. Hate to say it, probably does not score Correa. It yeah. doesn't. Uh, and. It, just the fact that it was it was hit so softly kind of died in center field uh, and it was going be it was going be difficult for Torres uh, or to come up and make a throw and um and you know I, I think that it, it allowed and that whole thing allowed Correa to, to come around and score just an unbelievable game what a comeback uh for the Redhawks and capped off uh just an incredible season for them a season where they had to fight and claw, scratch and claw with Kansas City. Really, uh, the entire season, uh, and they looked like that they were left for dead in this game, and and were able to come back. And you know, I think you got to give a major, major shout out uh, to Alex Dubord because he uh, he was a huge part of their bullpen this season, and in the and in, in the uh, in the in the postseason, he was absolutely nails. Uh, okay. and he was, he was just awesome. He kept them in this game, uh, because, you know, you always say after a big inning, the the next inning, the next getting is putting up a zero in the fall, fo- the The following inning of the top half of the bottom half, the following half inning is hmm. so, so important. Well, that's exactly what Alex Dubois did. And that's what he did time and time again. Uh, and he deserves so much credit, uh, for, for this, for this Red Hawks victory. Uh, as well as the offense that, that never that never really gave up uh but yeah what just an, a game for the ages that i think we'll be talking about for years to come and they'll be talking about it among red hawk fans for years to come as well uh and just an incredible baseball game with w- what an ending and how else could you end a winner take all game like that
0: i mean really i mean like this was this is just insane watching it and like if you go back and you kind of check the the Twitter of all the people that follow independent baseball, the back and forth that's going on under every tweet and everything, and just the kind of consensus of, this game is insane. And it really is an all-time classic. Like, I understand that a lot of this is made possible by some poor fielding. But even still, that's just kind of baseball sometimes, where the mistakes that haven't happened all year come out at the worst possible time, and create something just completely different, just completely out of this world. And it really is, it was a really great season, the American Association, and I got to be honest here, uh, anyone that's listened to the show knows that we weren't huge fans of the thought of most of the league making the postseason. It kind of watered it down a little bit is what we thought. I will say it did work out in the end I think the postseason was very good. I think we had some very interesting matchups, even the first round ones between teams that we were like, are they a postseason team? You know, they, uh, they, they managed to make it work and it was a very fun postseason. I got to be honest. And you know, the thing is, I think I've come to a place on it where I'm like, I like the postseason. I like that there's that many matchups and everything while I may prefer Having fewer teams in there like the Frontier League does. I really like their setup. I like their performance. And we saw, in both cases, some really fantastic uh, baseball in the postseason on both. But I've come around on the American Associations. I've definitely come around on it because of the results we got. We got some very good ones. Now, is that going to be proof that we're going to get that every year? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on it. But, at least for this year, it's definitely made me a bit more open-minded to it.
1: Yeah, I think that there was no doubt that there's going to be action in the postseason. I don't know if there was a, a direct result of having eight teams in the postseason. Um, I think it was just, I would more attribute it to just, uh, just the playoffs are awesome. And, uh, we got, we got some really good matchups at, at the end. You know, i I'd, I'd, pref- I'd much prefer honestly like a frontier league type model. But I I think that at the same time, there's no doubt that the American Association playoffs delivered on drama in every sense of the word and uh, and produced some great results uh, and some just really it was really engaging throughout. uh, And it was it was awesome. It was just totally, totally awesome.
0: Well, see, here's the one thing about that, though. Because if we were to go to, we agreed on it was 2-2 two two is how we it would have to be done because you couldn't really do 3-2 without having the same issue, right?
1: Yeah, I would say so.
0: If we were to do that, the two teams that would have made it in the East would have been Chicago and Kane County. Milwaukee wouldn't have been in.
1: Wait, no. Uh, I'm yeah. saying like the, the three and the... Oh, the three.
0: So you do want to do the three and the three. Well, I mean, at that point, then half the league still makes the postseason, though.
1: Right, but I think that I think that's better than having 8 teams instead of 6. I think 6 is fine. I don't, I don't know I don't know if we need necessarily a 4, but I would uh I, mean, I, I, I like like, like, like I was saying like the Frontier League model is okay. more what I... Okay. I
0: mean like with the Frontier League though? They also have the benefit of having additional teams, don't know. They have what 14? Yeah. 16? Yeah.
1: I, so. I, I they do, but I think that I, don't know, I think I, I'd rather I'd rather 6 and have um, Give the either that one game playoff or that series. If you want to do a three game series between the three and the two in each division, I'd be more inclined to do that than have like the four get a shot at the one. Because then I still think you're you're kind of devaluing the regular season in the sense of you're just playing for home field for 100 games uh mm-hmm. instead of an actual inherent advantage in the postseason, like getting a bye So that that's more where I'm coming from as far as that.
0: All right. I mean, like, I, I see that. I also think, though, like, we got a good series out of Cleburne and King County, too. You know, so, like, I'm not upset about that. I, I'll grant you, you know, uh, Kansas City of Lincoln was not, you know, it wasn't it. And, uh, you know, the rest of them were fine. But, um, I mean, I suppose against like, Milwaukee and King County it would have been a decent series. But, who's to say? you know, I. it's just one of those things where it's like, for me, we saw how it worked out. So I'm more open to it now than I was beforehand, you know, I, and I'm just kind of in the camp of top two would have worked just because I think this league needs another two teams before I'd be good saying, yeah, you know, you could make it three, but I, either way, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of like, uh, I kind of like the way they did it this year, at least it, it worked out. I think if we had a lesser postseason, maybe if the season didn't end on such a high and with the kind of dramatics, especially because keep in mind with Milwaukee, Chicago picked to play Milwaukee, and well, we saw that worked out for them. So, you know, maybe that was like the catalyst that got them going. Who knows, really? But it just it ended on a high, and I guess maybe I'm just riding that on it. But I I just feel like I'm more open to their to their system now.
1: I think given the result, yes. But I think if you were in a, in a situation where I don't know, like let's say let's say for sake of example that uh, that Lincoln knocked, up, let's say Lincoln upset Kansas City. All right. I think the the narrative flips, and saying everyone says, like, "Come on."
0: See, here's the because I can see it both ways. Because on one hand, I'd be like, "Well, we just got robbed of Kansas City, Fargo." On the other hand, I'd be like. But what the hell, Lincoln? Congrats. Like I would just be kind of stunned Lincoln was able to do that.
1: But I, I would argue that they, when the difference is so stark, I don't know if they look like that a team that uh hmm. a team that finishes in fourth in the division really deserves that shot.
0: Fair. Enough. I I almost feel like it'd be more fair to throw a caveat on there that they must be above five hundred, like. Maybe toss that one. That's an interesting idea. Yeah, where like you have to meet a certain threshold winning percentage wise, because I think winning percentage is probably the way to do it because sometimes games get canceled. It's just the reality of it. So if you were to toss, like you have to have at least a either a 475 or a 500 winning percentage. Otherwise, you do not qualify for the postseason. And you could even go to the other division if they have someone that could substitute in and offer that as a possibility. Like maybe you could do something like that. Maybe that's kind of fun. But
1: Yeah, I'd be more I'd be more inclined to do something like that. I think that's not a bad idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's something to talk about in the in the off season. Anyway, uh we do have the Atlantic League. We gotta get too quickly. So a fantastic season by both sides. Milwaukee, congrats on honestly doing a lot better than I think anyone thought you had any right to do. So uh, you know, fantastic season on that front. Nothing to be ashamed of there. And as far as Fargo goes, I mean, you guys were battling it neck and neck with Kansas City the whole way for who's going to be this dominant team. It wound up being you guys. You won the series that mattered against them, and then you won the the most important one at the very end. So, I mean, enjoy that series. Fantastic year there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just what a season in the American Association. And, love to see a team like Fargo come out on top
0: absolutely there so on that note we do have uh some Atlantic League news just to get to really quickly here um We do have news off the field and on the field. We'll talk about on the field because that's been the focus of today. If we don't wind up getting to the news out of York, then we'll prioritize doing that first thing next week. That is Mark Mason is out of York. He resigned his position. We'll talk about what that means probably at a later point because we are kind of against the clock this week. So you're not going to get an hour and a half long show, but we do have playoff stuff that we have to talk about. We're going to open that up with, uh, the round one games three games played so far we have three two in every series of course and it is Gastonia up three two it is Lancaster down uh two one rather it's two one Gastonia and two one uh Southern Maryland uh really so far the games have been pretty lopsided in the high point Gastonia series Gastonia blew out high point high point blew out Gastonia Gastonia returned the favor so If the pattern continues, then we should see another blowout uh, tonight. And meanwhile, on the flip side here, the only real game I think worthy of being mentioned so far is Game 2 against um, the uh, Southern Maryland-Lancaster series. That one has been closed. That one was closed, I should say. Uh, Southern Maryland went up big early. They went up 4-0. It winds up becoming 4-2, then 6-2. Then six three, ultimately we go into the bomb half of the ninth for Lancaster. What could be their final game of the year? They're down seven to four or seven to three, rather, my mistake. And um, obviously, we all know what that means. It means Andres Persino is going to come into this game, a guy who's been a very good reliever for some time, and especially so uh, this season. And uh, well, for probably the first time. In, all year. I believe it actually is his first time all year. He surrendered four runs in one inning. Blew a save. It went to extras and, uh well, Lancaster, we mentioned they had a win. This was their win. They managed to pull it out late and uh, they won 8-7. of A really kind of back and forth wild game on Wednesday night.
1: Yeah, it was uh a very, almost like a similar, uh, setup to Milwaukee and, uh, Fargo Moorhead game five. I mean, this was, this was off the rails. I mean, Andrew Spursino has been just so lights out all year. And this is just the one of the extremely, extremely, extremely rare nights he didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then Jake Hoover hitting a walk off home run. This, it was what, what a moment. Uh, and again, that of course the Barnstormers really, really needed. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it's hard to blame Bersino because of how good he's been all year. Uh, but you just got to give credit to the Barnstormers for, for not, uh, for willing to, being willing to fight back on their home field. Uh, and it was just a, a huge moment for them. Um, and, and of course, Hoover as well. Uh, it was not a huge, uh, not a, not a really a big bat. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't matter like when you come up in the in the in the biggest moment I uh, I do want to give a quick shout out though game one Daryl Thompson Jim but oh, that uh goes without saying but uh, but uh you know back to game three I I think that I mean it, sometimes that I mean when Hoover comes up in that in that huge spot and it, yeah it was just it was just a great moment uh and to, it was able to keep the barnstormers going and uh just yeah it was just an incredible moment
0: yeah it just kind of it was kind of crazy there to to see how that goes just you don't really ever expect to see Andres rosinio look human because he just he goes up and he just eliminates opponents he just doesn't really ever make mistakes per se so you know it is uh it was something to see there and obviously you know uh, these series aren't done yet they're best of five so uh we do have a couple more games left to be played today i believe both are today at least let me just double check yeah. that yep both are today yep all yeah. right good so then uh yeah it will f- possibly end today uh, possibly end tomorrow and then we'll have a championship matchup for next week at the latest here do we think uh any series is going to end today or is that more something that's going to wind up happening uh on sunday
1: you know, I'm going to say that Gastonia wins today. I think Gastonia will win and they'll, they'll beat High Point. Um, I think, I think, uh, the Barnstormers will force a game five. I think it's been a really close competitive series. Uh, and I think, you know, I assume Daryl Thompson with the blue crabs up 2-1 doesn't start today and goes and they save him for a game five if they need him. So I think that, uh, I, I think. I think the Barnstormers will force a game five. I think Gastonia wraps up High Point tonight.
0: You know, I I can't really disagree with that. I was going to say the same thing. On one hand, I kind of want to say High Point is going to go ahead. They're going to get that extra, you know, they're going to get that boost. They're going to get one because they've been trading blows here. But it just kind of feels like Gastonia is overwhelming this team. And at the end of the day, Gastonia is the best team in this league. Uh, Until proven otherwise, they are. And uh, it feels like they're just going to end this thing now. I'm also kind of saying that Southern Maryland's going to end this today. I don't know why. I just kind of get that feeling. I want to go to game 5, but at the same point I just think Southern Maryland's a very suffocating team, you know? Like they are a team that they're not giving you anything. They're going to take everything from you. And they're not they're just such a tough team to be. I mean, you saw what it took it took to beat them in game 2, right? So for them to lose Again, I just, I don't quite see it happening until we get to Gastonia. That's that's the series I want to see because it's kind of like, like, don't get me wrong, Gastonia can pitch very well too, but their thing is that they're going to score runs on you, they're going to run on you, that's kind of their MO. And obviously they have some really solid pitchers in there too, but it's kind of like fire and ice going at it. So I'm very interested to see what that series looks like. I think they both end tonight, to be quite honest with you. I just, I have this feeling on it.
1: Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. So Actually, all shakes
0: out. Yeah, absolutely. There. So uh, I think we'll just move the uh, Mark Mason news to next week. Uh, just a quick overview of it, though. He resigned his position as manager of York. Been there for a very long time. Top ten, pretty much all the Atlantic League uh, managerial records on that front. There, uh, and only what 2018 was their last championship, if I'm not mistaken. 1718.
1: Uh, I believe it was. 17. Yeah, Sugarland was 18, so I think they won 17.
0: Yeah, nice. so so he does yeah. have that one under his belt. Uh, only, I guess five, five years removed from it now. Wow, well, okay. Um, so, yeah. He's out there. We're going to wait to see who's the new uh, bench, bench boss over in york we'll go into more detail on that next week like i said because we are against the clock here um also being pointed out uh which i guess i'll you know i'll just save that for my thing to add uh we'll go to the plugs we'll get out of here and then we will move on with the rest of our day if you want to find the show you could do so pretty much on all the platforms we had before it's podbean it is uh Google's, I think, still getting up to date. I haven't heard back from them yet, but Google will be up uh, fairly soon, maybe another week on it. But uh, outside of that, Spotify's up, Apple Podcasts is up, TuneIn's up, iHeartRadio's up, pretty much all the usual ones. They're all up. So you can find the show there social media again i encourage you to follow the social media it keeps you up to date with what's happening with the show because we are in a bit of a flux right now i don't anticipate this flux lasting for more than another week and even then it should be solved in fairly short order hopefully this one can go up today the 24th without any issues but we're gonna probably have to fight a little bit on that uh so any ball pod on twitter on instagram at alpb underscore news and at um Indie Ball Report as well. Their website is going to get updated too. We're going to clean up that and fix some stuff there. So, IndieBallReport.com for show notes and things like that on the website. That said, anything to add?
1: Albert Pools, 700 home runs. I never thought, I, I I did not think that he was going to get there uh just given his some of his struggles with the Angels. I thought he was about done. The fact that he got the seven hundred home runs, joined now one of four players in the seven hundred home run club, a guy who's played the game the right way for so many years on uh, just a class act and one of the best people and one of the best and definitely one of the best hitters of all time. I mean, seven hundred home runs is just wow. I mean history and, and the fact that he hit six ninety nine and seven hundred and back to back at bats just bonkers. So uh Congratulations to him! Uh, what an incredible milestone.
0: Wouldn't it be funny if he went to the Hall of Fame with an Angels cap on?
1: He's not going to the no way.
0: Well, wouldn't it be because technically he doesn't get to choose anymore because Wade Boggs ruined that for everybody.
1: It won't. There's no way it won't
0: happen. I know they'll, they'll put him in as a Dodger, but uh, nah,
1: I'd much prefer that over the Angels, honestly.
0: <laughs> Why? Well, because at least he had success in like the half season in L.A. Proper LA, not Anaheim. But uh, yes, yeah. Only thing I have to add here is again, going back to the trouble on the show here. Uh, I understand the last show didn't get uploaded to the feed. It's going to be uploaded. I don't know if I'm going. How we're going to work this out? Because I really would like to get them both up before October one, where our data cap gets reset, and I should have it up before then. Because uploading three at once just sounds like a really bad idea. Even uploading back-to-back isn't great. So we're going to figure that out. Just stick with us for now. Worst comes to worst, this will be up on the YouTube channel. It probably will be the last one I do and hopefully will be the last one that has to go up there. So check that out as well. Wait for the link and really do follow the social media pages because we're going to keep you up to date on that there. So we should be back to business as usual Next week, with no issues, regular times, regular everything. Especially because, depending on when these series end and how quick that championship is, we may not have to wait till like the following day anymore to record. Which would be very, very nice if we could, uh, if we could uh, not have to do a quick turnaround on these shows because they do kind of kill me. But whatever, yeah. I don't really care that much. So yeah, I more or less just care about getting the show out. So on that note. Uh, We're going to wrap it up. Do stick with us and uh, enjoy the last bit of Indie Ball. We only have one league left and only a handful of games left. I guess no more than like, what, seven games left? Yeah, about. Yeah, so, well, technically at most nine because both could get extended and a best of five. uh, Yeah, we're under 10 games left in the season. It's kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about all that and more next time. But until then, don't forget to play ball.